talking so much lately about the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. And we're going to sing a song you all should know by now. It's called Do It Again. And something that really gets me fired up is the faithfulness of God. But sometimes when things don't go our way or when things don't go in our time, we think, okay, where is God? Where is the faithfulness now? And we have to take a step back and remember that he is the alpha, he is the omega, he is the beginning, he is the end, he is beyond and above our timeline, right? And to abide within that and to trust that, boy, we can be so human sometimes. Okay, I can be so human sometimes. Maybe you guys are perfect. But abiding can be really hard. Waiting can be really hard. But then I don't know about you, when you look back, It's much easier to see, oh my goodness, I see exactly what God was doing through that season of of famine or drought or the desert times of our life, right? So I just want to encourage you, even if things don't get answered in our time, we're in our way. God is so incredibly faithful, and I, I just can't testify enough to his goodness and his faithfulness. It's the only thing I can cling to sometimes. And he's the only reason I've gotten through so many different things and different points in my lifetime. So whatever time you're in, if it's a time of famine, if it's a time of feast, 
Waiting can be hard, but lean into the faithfulness of God. He will never let you go. It might not look like we want it to, church, but he is so faithful. Let's thank him for that this morning, shall we?
Father, we come before you this morning with humble hearts. We acknowledge that you are great, that you are the author, that you are almighty God. And Lord, we are nothing. We are literally nothing without you. And we humble ourselves before you this morning. And we just bring you so much gratitude and so much thanks just for who you are, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your sovereignty. But Lord, we desperately need your help to abide within that. When things are hard, Lord, you never promised it would be easy. But put that call upon each of our hearts to lean into you as our almighty, beautiful Lord, as our Savior. Oh, Lord, we love you so, so very much. We ask that you anoint the rest of this time, that you show favor to this service. Lord, we long to hear from you through your word this morning. We offer all this up to you for your glory and in your name. And everybody at home joins us in saying, Amen. Good morning, Norfew, and welcome. We're glad that you've joined us this morning. And we've got some things that we want to talk about before we actually get to the message. Uh, first, I want to jump ahead to August. I know. Like, no, don't do that. The summer's already ending. But uh, jump ahead to August, specifically the 23rd uh, and the Church in the Park event. We just want to give you a heads up on that. Um, We are not going to be able to pull off what we had hoped for this summer. Uh, Originally, if you remember, we were planning on having uh, Jake Locker come. He so graciously agreed to come and be a part of our event. And uh, he was going to share his testimony. And we were going to use that as a large outreach event. And then we were going to, have the tent again and Larry's smokehouse and all the stuff we do. But really, a large evangelistic outreach is just not in the cards right now. So instead, um, what we've done is uh, approach Jake to see if he'd be willing to uh, think about that event for next summer, 2021. And this summer, what we're going to do is Northview Church in the Park. We're just going to call it the Northview Family Picnic. So it'll just be us. We'll be gathered together. Uh, bring your picnic lunch and your canopy and 
we'll make a morning out of it as a church family. So uh, just want to have that uh, notch in your calendar so you know what we're doing there. Then next Sunday, the 26th, will be our first time back together uh, here in the auditorium. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, and so in doing that, though, let me help set the table for expectations. Um, so here's a couple things. When in the building, we do need to wear masks. And there, there will be those who have medical exemptions. Uh, and so at this point, we don't need to be, um, you know, checking or why is that. Uh, let's just extend grace to each other. Uh, this is not a harassment zone. Remember, we'll also be airing the first service live. So if you have any kind of nervousness or any kind of condition that you have to be careful about, uh, you are more than blessed to stay home. So here's the point. You are not more spiritual mature if you come to church and you're not more spiritual mature if you stay home. Each needs to do what the Holy Spirit is giving them the freedom to do. And we also have time. It doesn't all happen to happen in one week. Uh, you may start one way or the other. You may change your mind three weeks into it and decide to come or not to come. We just want you to know from myself, the, the board, the staff, you have our permission, and more importantly, you have our blessing. Let God lead you in your family and do what you think he's asked you to do. So does that sound good? Can we roll with that together? Uh, we'll talk more as we get closer to it, but I think that helps set the table a little bit. So take your Bibles. We are in our series on truth versus lies. We're in the Psalms, and we just had a great time walking through a lot of the pictures that are in there. And this morning we come to a Psalm that confronts several of the lies of our culture all at the same time. What lies are we talking about here? Well, in talking about the lies of our culture, let me just put a kind of a composite together. Obviously, it's not all of it, but uh, see if this gives you a, a picture that you might recognize as a, a worldview. It would go something like this. Uh, there's really nothing special about you. Uh, you will live, and then you'll die, and there's nothing beyond that. Nobody's paying attention, and nobody really cares. There is no God. Science and evolution got rid of the need for that superstitious foolishness a long time ago. And besides, even if there was a God, it wouldn't help you because he's evil and capricious and only cares about his own kingdom and nobody else. And he's not listening to your prayers. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even really know you exist. I mean, come on. There are just about 8 billion people in the world. 330 plus million in the United States alone. Do you really think he has time for you? Now, having rolled that out, anybody recognize that voice? Anybody recognize those thoughts? They certainly aren't from God. And Psalm 139 speaks directly to these objections and a few more. So let's pray this morning and, and then we'll take a look at this psalm. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we seek you this morning as we come to this psalm. It's, it's a majestic psalm. It is brilliantly written. Uh, it has captured the mind of man for over uh, 4,000 years. And Lord, as we walk through this this morning, um, again, we're asking for you to be among us. We're asking for your Holy Spirit to be at work. We know that you can be connecting us even though we're not together. All of us listening and watching, uh, you can speak through that 
medium and you, you're not hindered or limited by any of that. So we open up the morning to you. We trust in your sovereignty. We trust in your omniscience. We trust in your omnipresence that you can be everywhere at the same moment. And Lord, we seek you for this morning to speak as we talk and we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. So take your Bibles, open up to Psalm 139. And Psalm 139, if you look in any of the books, uh, breaks into four easily discernible parts. The Expositor's Bible Commentary lists these as, the first one is the Lord's discernment of individuals. The second one is the Lord's perception, his ability to perceive uh, of individuals. The third is the Lord's purpose for individuals. And then the fourth is a prayer for vindication. We're going to look at all four of these. So let's start with the first one. Let's begin with verses 1 through 6 and engage with the the thoughts of the psalmist. It starts like, it reads like this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This section of the psalm directly counters the accusation that God doesn't notice or pay attention to individual people. Not only does God pay attention But this psalm says that he also closely examines. It says, you have searched me and known me. You observe my ways. You know when I sit down or when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. So what what this tells us is that God doesn't just look at the outward things that are going on in a person's life, but that he also discerns the motive behind them. It's not what a person is doing, but why a person is doing what he or she is doing. And it goes on to say, you search out my path, which means you carefully observe the course and the direction of my life. You're looking at where I'm going. The language here means you've winnowed me. Uh, Threshed is another word. Separating. Uh, You're using life to separate the good from the bad. And you are giving thought to which way I am going, both when I'm awake and even when I'm asleep. In our language, we would use the expression, what's the trend line look like, right? What direction is it moving in? But it's, much, it's a much deeper discernment than just that. The psalmist says that even before a word is on the tongue, God knows what I'm about to say. Now, everybody stop for a second, right? If you're doing something at home or fidgeting with something or getting coffee, just stop for a second. The psalm says that before a word is on my tongue, God knows what I'm about to say. Think about that. That is an intimate discernment. God knows my inner thoughts. And notice when you read this that the psalmist is not threatened or intimidated by that knowledge. As a matter of fact, Rather than being threatened or intimidated, it's actually an encouragement to him. The fact that God has him hemmed in is a comfort to him. That God has got him covered front and back brings security rather than a threat. God is his protection. And then he adds, 
and you lay your hand upon me. Now, there's, there's two ways of someone laying their hands upon you, right? The first way is someone lays their hands upon you violently, right? Wham! You know, that kind of, that's not exactly beneficial, right? But the second way is a very special way of when we say laying their hands on you. It's the hand on the head, right? Uh, It's a sign of blessing and approval. It carries the same sense as when one is anointed. We often do this in church if someone is being commissioned for ministry or commissioned to uh, missions. We will often bring all the elders and the staff up and we will lay hands on them and, and pray over them. It carries this deep sense of affirmation. Uh, though not on the same level, but with the same tone and spirit uh, it, as when God said of Jesus at his baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Or when God will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. It carries that sense, that tone. You have laid your hand upon me. The psalmist says when he thinks about this, it's just way over his head. It, it, all of a sudden, it gets too big and he loses it and he can't track it anymore. It's just far too wonderful to truly comprehend. He's just saying, I, can't, I literally can't get my mind wrapped around how incredible this is. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says this uh, so well. It says that the knowledge of God is nothing less than the knowledge that discerns and discriminates in favor of those who are loyal to the Lord. This means that God uses the circumstances of life, our lives, to winnow out those who are for him and those who are against him. Uh, Jesus used many parables, uh, wheat and tares. You can think of a bunch of them that fall into this uh, type of thinking. The discerning and favorable acts of God are gracious in nature and aimed at those who love him. It is grace that justifies, and it's by grace that humans are blessed. God's favor, when directed towards us, is truly amazing. I would add, as we've seen in the Psalms, that God's favor is for those who've come into a covenant relationship with him. Those who have called out to him and sought and asked for him. The Lord Jesus, we're talking about here, to save them by his amazing grace. And I I just feel compelled this morning to ask you out there as you're watching, have you done that? You know, if you've grown up in a church, you've been around it all your life, and, and you, know, you've, you, you know the words, you know the language, you know the, you've even read the Bible, but have you actually asked him into your life? Have you sought the favor of the Lord? Have you ended the power struggle between you and God? The psalmist would tell you that this is a very wise thing to do. And like the psalmist, the question is, have you come under his protection? Such an important thing. Here's an easy way to test that uh, this morning. Uh, is God's omniscience, this, God's omniscience is really the idea that he is all-knowing. There's nothing you can hide from him. Is God's omniscience a blessing or a threat? When you hear that idea, do you tend to react defensively or do you react relationally? God's best blessings are for those who are in relationship with him. The psalmist is, 
And he's experiencing the wonder of God caring for him. And I just, I want to stop right here. I, I just, there might be somebody this morning that's right there, right? You're, you're experiencing that tension. Uh, you're looking at it and you feel it and you haven't entered in. Can I just pray for you? Father, I just want to pray this morning. Stop in the middle of the message because it's not so much about a message as it is about connecting with you. Lord, there is that place where those uh, who find themselves on the outside looking in. They know about you. They know the words. They know the right things. But they have never truly asked you to come into their life and save them. They've never truly placed their faith in your name. They've never truly called out to you. And Lord, I seek you this morning. If there's anybody there like that, if there's anybody on that lip, on that rim, uh, afraid to put that foot forward. Lord, I ask this morning that they would find the courage and the faith to take that step of faith and confess you and ask you into their life and admit that you are the Lord and ask for you to save them. Lord, we seek you for that. We pray right now that this is a moment in your Holy Spirit that is between you and them and that they will know it just like the rest of us knew it when you did it for us. And we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, cool. Hey, if you did that, if you prayed that prayer, I'd appreciate if you got in touch with me. You can call me. You can email me. Uh, Come on, gang. You know how to do that, right? So let me know. But um, let's move on with the psalm. The psalm goes on from the Lord's discernment of individuals to the Lord's perception of individuals. And the psalmist is saying he's trying to perceive how this all works. And he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Uh, The psalmist here is is going farther with his musings over and about God's omnipresence and his omniscience. His omnipresence is the idea that God is everywhere, right? He's in every nook and cranny. He is spirit. He is not limited by things like this or or walls like that or doors like that or, or things that we're so familiar with. They aren't obstacles to him. And omniscience is the idea that God knows everything. And the psalmist is thinking along these lines of how big are these ideas? How far do they go? Uh, How big, uh, another way to ask it is how big, how all-encompassing is God actually? The first set of questions are distance questions, right? You can read it there, look there. And he's already ruled out everything on earth, he says, if I go to the far side of the sea, and you have to remember in that day, uh, the ocean to them, they didn't understand the other side of it, right? When they looked across, it was non-ending. If I go to the far side of the sea, as far as that thing will stretch, you're still there to guide me. It says your right hand, and in scripture, the right hand is the hand of promise and the hand of strength, right? Will not let me go. In other words, no matter where I go, no matter how far I go, you still got your grip on me. 
And then he goes beyond that to space. If I go to the heavens, no, you're there. Well, if I go to the depths of Sheol, and Sheol's the place, uh, the place of the dead, where the dead are until the resurrection, which is seen as the underworld and, and hidden from us on, uh, here on the planet. He says, if I go to the depths of Sheol, nope, you're there too. In other words, there's nowhere in this entire universe that is outside of God's presence or knowledge. Okay, so that didn't work. Uh, let's try something else. In the human experience, day and night are vastly different, right? Day is light, night equals darkness. Uh, during the daytime, we, even we as humans can see what's going on, right? We do all our activities, we drive down the freeway, we go shopping at the store, we look at price tags. We can do all that stuff because we can see. But night, now night's a different matter, right? Uh, remember growing up with a fear of the night and the boogeyman would be under the bed? Maybe, just maybe, we can hide from God's presence in the darkness, right? As a matter of fact, we actually use this terminology of someone who's walked away from the Lord. What do we say about them? We say they are walking in darkness. They're not walking in the light. Uh, And if you think about it, when people sin, they often do it at night. Why? Because in their mind, in our minds, Nobody can see them, and they can't get caught. And here's the big problem that the psalmist is pointing out. Day and night are absolutely no different to God. He sees well in both. The psalmist declares for God, there's no difference between the night and the day. And he makes this amazing claim. For God, the night shines like the day, and darkness is as light to you. So in other words, really, it's only in our mind that we think we're hiding, but the truth is God can see us very clearly. Remember Superman? Uh, One of his qualities, one of his supernatural powers, was that he had x-ray vision. Remember the cartoons and the comics used to read that? Well, God, says the psalmist, his vision goes way beyond that. And speaking of x-ray vision, this now leads us into the third section, which uh, is God's purpose for individuals. The psalmist is is declaring what a miracle the conception, development, and birth of a child are. And remember, this psalm is over 4,000 years old. We now have a little device that gives us insight into that process of creation. Did you know that? That's called a sonogram or an ultrasound, and it allows us to see into a mother's womb. And we are pretty impressed with our technology but we should be even more impressed with God's creativity and design. What's the argument that's being uh, placed here by the psalmist? The argument is simply this. The universe is designed by God, the earth is designed by God, and babies are designed by God. They are an impressive peek into the nature and purpose of how God designed us as humans. And When you think about it, when a mom, you take a mom, and when that mom sees that baby in the ultrasound, do you know what they say? They don't say, oh my, look at that blob of undistinguishable plasma. They don't say, oh, look, a fetus. What do they say? When the mom sees that, she goes, it's a baby. It's my baby. Powerful. 
And because of that, abortions have dropped to an all-time low uh, since Roe versus Wade was instituted. Did you know that? That's never publicized. You don't see that in the news, but it has. Why? Because when a woman sees that image, she realizes it's not a blob of material or fetus. It's a baby. It's a creation of God. And here at Northview, you need to know we are wholly pro-life and for the protection of a baby's life. And I, I was talking with Stephanie just a week or two ago. Stephanie uh, is one of our friends at CareNet that we support, and she both works there and then volunteers as a, a speaker for them. And uh, she was sharing this information with me about the abortion rate dropping and stuff. And uh, it, it's great stuff to read. But I want to I tell you this morning that the number's still way too high. Right now, the number's just... Uh, a little over 600,000, 683,000 uh, infants are aborted a year. So even at its lowest, it's still over a half a million babies a year are being aborted. The, the right number for that is zero. And that's what we're aiming for, right? For 4,000 years, long before there was a sonogram or an ultrasound or science or any of that stuff, the Holy Spirit spoke to the psalmist and the psalmist was speaking into the world, the created nature, not only of the universe and our world, but also of us. That we are somebodies, that we are creations of God, that we're important to us, important to him, that he notices us, that he sees us. We're just not developed primordial blogs of sludge. Look at this incredibly beautiful description. This, these phrases right here are considered some of the greatest pieces of literature that were ever written. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That's another word phrase for the womb of the mother. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Again, this is appealing to God's divine foreknowledge. It is in essence saying, that before I was even formed, before I was even born, you ordained the number of days that would be mine. The psalm and the prophets are insistent that God is not only the maker of the heavens and the earth, but he is also the creator of humans, of us. That we, believe it or not, are one of his greatest creations. God, as creator, is one of the most dominant themes throughout the Bible. Remember Psalm 136? We went through that last week and it's the one with the repeating line for a steadfast love endures forever. Do you remember uh, how it opened up? Uh, let's just look at one of the affirmations there. Here's how it, it, it worded. We'll pick it up in verse four. To him alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you hear what the psalmist is saying there? God's steadfast love is expressed in everything he's created, including the heavens and including the earth. 
The affirmation of the Psalms is in direct contradiction with evolutionary theory. And they know it, and we know it. Take Earth, let's just take our planet, for instance. Rather than being a meaningless blob floating in the universe, a very unremarkable piece of real estate, which is what most of the thinkers would want us to think about our planet, our planet Earth is in fact, is in fact extraordinary in its placement in our solar system. It's absolutely unrivaled in its beauty and unmatched in its ability to sustain life. We have one thing that no other planet has in sustainable amounts. And what's that one thing? Water. Again, don't miss the obvious tell here. What's the symbol for the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing we usually think of is the dove, right? But what's the second thing you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? Water, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Out of the one who believes in Jesus will flow streams of what? Living water. God designed our planet to sustain life and he used water to do it. What life was it designed to sustain? All life, but especially human life. The psalmist declares, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. The psalmist is again running into literally the limitations of his human mind, being able to take this all in. Rather than uh, God not noticing you, rather than uh, God not paying attention, rather than God never hearing you, the psalmist says that God has incredible thoughts towards you. He sums it up, what he can grasp, his summation is this, how precious are your thoughts, O God, and how vast, how many is the sum of them. He's saying they are more, your thoughts towards me, your thoughts towards us. Right there this morning, as you sit on your couch or sitting in a chair or in your kitchen or wherever you are, and you're thinking, man, I wonder if God even knows my name. The Bible tells us, the psalmist is telling us that the thoughts of God towards you towards you personally, that he knows you, that you're special, they are more than all the grains of sand that are to be found on the beaches of the earth. Think about that. You ever been to a beach and picked up sand and how many grains there are of sand on one beach? It says, your thoughts towards me are more than all the grains of sand on the beaches of the world. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I'm overwhelmed with your thoughts towards me. And I'm only getting a glimpse. I'm getting a little tiny thumbnail sketch, a mere shadow of all that's really there. But the little bit I do get, wow, blow my mind, right? And so the psalmist is just caught in how vast God is and how vast his thoughts and the sum of those thoughts are toward him and then the psalm shifts in its focus and intent and this this really throws a a lot of us because the psalm goes into what's known as an imprecatory tone and an imprecatory tone is a lament over those who are god's enemies and this is uh very clear in the psalms of those who are for god those who are against god it reads like this oh that you would slay the wicked O god men of blood depart from me they speak against you with malicious intent Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? 
And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred, and I count them my enemies. That's a little different shift in tone, right? This is not talking about people, those who are ignorant of God. This is talking about rather those who have deliberately chosen to stand in opposition to him, his ways, his purposes. And the psalmist is saying, God, they just make life miserable if you would just take them out. They're doing so much damage. Don't we feel that today? Don't we feel that pain, that pressure? Uh, God, they're wrecking your kingdom. They're wrecking your cause. They're wrecking your name. Uh, And notice how it says they speak against you with malicious intent. That means their words, their vocabulary is like knives or swords. And they they take your name in vain. Uh, Instead of being used for praise, God's name is taken and used as a swear word. And the psalmist loathes those who are rising up against God this way. Certainly, we could relate to that, right? We've all felt those feelings expressed here by the psalmist. Who hasn't had their hide chafed when they hear someone mocking Jesus? Or uh, we've, we've felt that when, when they've used his name in vain as a swear word. But this presents a very real dilemma for those of us who are New Testament Christians. In the Beatitudes, uh, many of us are familiar with that, right? Matthew chapter 5 Uh, through chapter 7, Jesus tells us that we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. An Old Testament Jew did not have this problem. Anyone who wasn't Jewish was fair game to be prayed for that they'd be killed. After all, they were enemies of God. But what are we to do? How, How are we to love our enemies? Well, I have a suggestion, this suggestion. I suggest that we pray that they get converted. Think about it. When someone comes to Christ, they must die to their old life. Therefore, if they come to faith in Jesus and become born again, uh, much like we prayed earlier in the service with that prayer, they die only to rise to new life in Christ. So they can pray, we can pray, uh, they're not praying yet, maybe they will, but we can pray for God to save them so that they can die to their old life. In a very real way, they get killed only to live. It's fabulous. I've said many times, God has an amazing way of taking his worst enemies and making them his best friends. It is a very legitimate prayer for God to kill them by saving them. All right, so the psalmist ends with this request, and it's a powerful one. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. Psalmist is actually asking God to test his heart, to flush out any evil that's in there. Instead of fighting God's examination and wrestling him with it, he's actually asking for God's inspection. We would say, hey God, check it out and flush out any of the stuff, the sin that's, that's in there. A grievous way is a way that, that hurts the father heart of God. What if, if we're asking what would be a grievous way, what, what would some of those things be that would be grievous to the heart of God? Well, we get a clue in the New Testament. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, if you have your Bibles, turn there right now and look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 4. It tells us this. 
And do not grieve, there's that very same word concept, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, left to itself, that doesn't really tell us much. But the verses that are wrapped around verse 30 give us the context and the insight that we need. Verse 29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give peace or may give grace to those who hear. And then verse 31, the verse behind it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What's it talking about here? It's talking about how we use our tongues. Jesus declared that it's what's on the inside of us that defiles us. And the psalmist is saying, search me, look at my heart, see if there's any hurtful way within me. Uh, How do we know what's perking on the inside? By what comes out of our mouths. Especially when, when we're under pressure. What's a grievous way? Grieving the Holy Spirit by how we use our our tongues. Don't think that's true? Just check out Facebook. It won't take you long to figure it out. Slide 12 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This would be the goal of what the psalmist is asking for as well. Let's look at those words again. Search me, O God, Know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, Lord, take me all the way home. God, search me. Help me be right before you. This is asking the Holy Spirit to coach us. This is asking the Holy Spirit to be in control of our thought life. This is asking the Holy Spirit to be in control of our tongue. There are times when the Holy Spirit says, don't. Don't say it. Have you ever had that, right? And if you let it out, can you ever pull it back in? No, it's too late. That's we, we have to obey instantly. This is asking the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, both our heart and our mouth. What's the gist of this? Use the creation, your body, the way it was designed to be used, and don't pollute it. We'll have more to say about this. The Psalms are coming. We're going to look at a a real trouble spot that comes up with all this thinking we just walked through uh, this week, next week. So I hope you come back. I hope you return. Uh, I hope you'll be interested in finding out what that is. But may we listen to the word this morning. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Father, this is one of the most incredible descriptions ever penned by the human hand. And it, it, it lists and explores and stretches our struggle and uh, trying to come to grips with you, trying to come to grips with our lives. And Lord, we're grateful for it. Thank you for the psalmist and how he penned this. And Lord, we pray that uh, you can take that, that the Holy Spirit can use that. You can identify specific points. You can talk to us individually and say, hey, how about we cooperate on this this week? Lord, I know you're gracious. The psalmist said that, and I know 
most of the time you will not point out more than one or two things that we really have to pay attention to. So uh, if we're full of anxiety and, and full of thoughts rushing, may that all just calm down. What are the one or two things that really stand out from this message? More, Lord, may we track on that and we give that to you with hope that we might become like you and you will lead us in the way everlasting. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
you truly are the breath in our lungs. Steve painted a beautiful picture this morning as he just talked about creation, about how we were knitted together so beautifully, so perfectly, how your thoughts about us are as numerous as the grains of sand on the earth. Mm. What love you must have for your children. We praise you as the creator God this morning. We look forward with hope to that glorious day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we pray your spirit and we ask for an abundance of softening of hearts. We ask, if you will, it for revival. God, our world needs revival. Our world so desperately needs you. We put our hope and our faith in you alone, Father. We thank you again for another beautiful morning to come together in your presence, to join in spirit and in song. We really hope that we have blessed you this morning. Receive all of this praise as a beautiful and sweet incense. And we offer it up to you in the name of your son, the Christ. Everybody at home joins us in saying, amen. Okay, thank you, Esther, worship team. Boy, thanks for leading us. Absolutely fabulous. And uh, appreciate you very much every week. You get us, get us thinking again and moving towards them, and that's, that's the whole goal. Uh, we have questions again. This has become kind of a highlight. Now, this week, I just have to tell you, there's too many questions, all right? There are 10 with a caveat at the end of 10. So you're never gonna cover them all. But um, what I'd like you to do is think through them and maybe grab the top three uh, that start the conversation and just see how far you can get. Community groups, these would be great uh, if you are actually meeting to uh, walk through. If you're Zooming together, you could pull them together during the week. But let's walk through them together and see what they are. Off of this Psalm uh, 139, the first question is, have you wrestled with the idea of how does God notice you among almost 8 billion other people on this planet. You ever wrestled with that? Wondered how that works? Number two, have you wrestled with the idea of whether or not God hears your prayers? Nah, nobody's ever wrestled with that one, right? Uh, Number three, what do you think of the idea that God not only knows your path, but even your very thoughts? That gets a little closer to home, doesn't it? Number four, what do you think of the idea that light and darkness are the same for God? Uh, that's not true for us, right? We, we will be going to sleep this evening, and we think of that differently than we do during the day, but for God, it says it's not, it's the same. What do, you, what do you think of that idea? Number five, what do you think about the psalmist claims that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? Number six, do you think the earth is extraordinary? If so, why? If not, why? Number seven, do you think, uh, what do you think of the idea that God's thoughts towards you are more than all the sand that is in the world? I gotta confess to you, that one blew my mind. Uh, I'm like, wow, I have to really think through that one. Uh, what, what do you think of that idea? Number eight, what do you think of the psalmist's anger towards the enemies of God? Can you identify with that? Can you place that? Number nine, what do you think of God knowing your thoughts and heart of giving God permission to examine them, right? It's one thing that he knows them. It's another thing for you to open the door and say, hey, 
You have permission to come in and look at it. And number 10, what do you think about the idea that the tongue reflects what's going on in the heart? All right, so there's the questions for the week. Uh, As I said, too many of them. Pick your top three. But let's move on to the prayer points. Here's the things that we've listed for this week that we can pray. So number one, let's continue to pray for us as a staff and a congregation as we head uh, towards reopening on the 26th. All right, let's ask God for a spirit of grace in that. Number two, let's pray. We, we just had a wonderful VBX. And if you don't have kids or anything like that, go on the website, on Northview's website, and check it out. You will be delighted at what they pulled off. Uh, let's pray for God to preserve the results of his kingdom from last week's VBS. Let's pray that some kids actually heard God talking to them and gave their life to Christ. Number three, let's pray for our student ministries, right? Senior and junior high, it is a wonky time for them. And uh, as they, they're just trying to make their way through summer, right? And it's, it's just difficult. Rob and Zeb need wisdom. Uh, let's just pray that also God would break out among our teen population, Wonderful time for a revival to break out. And among the teens would be thrilling. So let's pray that way. Number four, let's ask God to make it possible to have a conversation with a neighbor this week. You know those people that live next to you and around you and behind you, God says he's got them covered front and before. Uh, Let's see if we could just ask God, not spiritual things, not anything, just God, would you make it possible, a divine appointment, for me to have a conversation with one of my neighbors this week? Remember the art of neighboring and that series Shannon walked us through and did such a great job? Let's pray that way. And then number five, uh, I think we need to begin to pray for people uh, to, that they're able to give their anxiety to the Lord. Um, I, I've got First Peter quoted here. It says, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And a big part of that is they have to be able to humble themselves, right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Due time is his time, not our time. But let's begin to pray for people uh, to give their anxiety to the Lord because I think there's going to be a lot of things with the rent lease thing coming to an end and all that. that We're going to see some stuff that's going to be pretty hard for people. So... Let's go that way. So there's the prayer request for this week's. Again, thanks for praying. Thanks for praying. It means a lot. And uh, we're counting on you praying in your homes uh, to keep us going uh, through this whole season. So we'll do this. Enjoy the conversation this morning. And and we'll see you next week. That was a lot better. I don't know why. Your heart be troubled.
Jesus, swing wide. 